Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. Bless God. Did anybody have anything during worship that you saw or you wanted to share? So while we were in our prayer session before service started, um, I was just praying and I just saw this this hand that was trying to hold all these diamonds, right? And these diamonds were just falling through the cracks and everything and through the hands and just how, uh, you know, sad and frustrated this, this, this person was by trying to hold on to all this these things and um, but underneath it just came these really large hands that just came underneath it and just was catching everything in it as well too and just you know the words that I just heard was that you are precious to me and I will never let you go Mm -hmm. you know and just my hands are just are there for you all you have to do is reach out and I will take a hold of you and I will comfort you, and I will just be with you. So, mm. you know, and I just feel like, you know, during worship as well, too, there's just these elements of just of just the Father wanting to reach out and just, you know, and just touch us and just the love on us and make sure that he knows that we are there in the moment of times when maybe feels like all things are lost, everything's falling through our, our fingertips, right? But he's there to catch us and to catch those things. So, you know. I just wanted to share that today. So, Yeah, amen. Thank you, Ben. That's beautiful. Um, in it, I see pictures of uh, an ark that holds a, a group of people. <laughs> right? Because you think about the people who are held by the ark, and then you've got the hands that are below the hand that felt like it was failing. Right? But yet, there's God. Amen. Who's our comforter? Anyone else? So, last week we began the new Torah portion cycle with Bereshit, and this week we're heading into Noah. And I feel like the overarching theme for today's message is about letting the light in. Last week we talked about how Yeshua was present in the creation, and things were created in him and through him, and that the solution to the chaos was the light, right? When there was darkness over the surface of, of the earth, right? The Lord said, let there be light, and there was light. And the light that he was speaking of was not the light of the sun, because the sun didn't come until day four. He's talking about a different source of light. And in John 1, we talked about how uh, the beginning, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? And the true light came into the world and has dwelled among us, right? Giving hope to all mankind. And when we come into this week's portion, we're going into the story of the flood, right? So last week we're talking about this new creation. This week we're talking about this destruction of that new creation, 
But at the same time, we're also talking about a new creation, right? Because God destroyed the earth, but then he made it new again, right? And this making it new again was in the Torah is described in such a way that you see that it is clearly a recreation of the earth just as God had created in the beginning. Now, not every step is exactly the same, but there is a lot of, of overlap. Um, and I don't think I have the scriptures up here for it, but I want to look here in, in Genesis 8, in verse 1. Okay, God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the animals that were with him in the ark. And God caused a spirit to pass over the earth or a wind to pass over the earth and the waters subsided. Okay, so right here, there's the, the spirit of God over the waters again, just as in Genesis 1. And then the fountains of the deep and the windows of the heaven were closed and the rain from the heaven was restrained. So if you, well, if you recall, when the flood came, God opened up the deep and he opened up the heavens. The windows of heaven were opened such that the waters came down and the deep was opened up so the waters came up. And when that happened, the firmament that God had separated, the sky that God had created in the, in the beginning was now covered over, right? That was, the creation was kind of undone as it were. And now God says, okay, we've got waters. The waters above and the waters below have come together. Now may they divide again, okay? So now he's again creating a space in the heavens between the waters, the waters above and the waters below. The waters receded from upon the earth, receding continuously, and they diminished at the end of 150 days. Okay, so as they receded upon the earth, the earth began to be exposed again. So now God was saying, now to the waters, let them gather together in one place and let dry earth appear. And then the ark came to rest in the seventh month on the 17th day of the month on the mountains of Ararat. The waters were continuously diminishing until the 10th month. And in the 10th month, on the first of the month, the tops of the mountains became visible. Okay, so that's where we now can see the land reappearing. And it came to pass at the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark, which he had made, and he sent out the raven. He kept going and returning until the waters dried from upon the earth. And then he sent out the dove from him to see whether the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove could not find a resting place for the sole of its foot and returned to the ark for water was upon the surface of the earth. So he put forth his hand, took it, and brought it to him in the ark. He waited again another seven days and again sent out the dove from the ark. The dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, an olive leaf it had plucked with its bill, and Noah knew that the waters had subsided from upon the earth. So now we see vegetation coming forth too, right? And so you continue to go forward, and you come to the point where God calls Noah and says, go forth from the ark, you, your wife and sons and your wives with you and every living being that is with you go out onto the earth. And so now you have all of the, all of the created animals and man now back on the earth too. So you have this parallel action that's taking place. Um, <clears throat> now, one thing that's noted in this is that nowhere in, in this part does it say, and then God created the the stars in the heaven and, and the sun, right? Because the heavens weren't destroyed 
right? And that is the location of the sun and the moon. It was the earth that was destroyed. And so it was all the aspects of the earth that were being renewed. And the light that had been present at creation on that first day, I think is, is found in Genesis 6, 16. Um, <clears throat> so let's, let's go ahead and go read in Genesis 6, starting in verse 9. Okay, so this is back at the beginning of the, of the portion. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover inside and out with pitch. This is how you're to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds according to their kinds and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind, Two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are, are righteous before me in this generation. Okay, so that's the intro to the, the portion. But in that, <clears throat> in that text... We read something that in this English translation, you wouldn't know, uh, you wouldn't know what I'm talking about when I say I feel like the light was in the ark, okay? And, you know, I, I actually did read this one before to find out it was wrong, but I left it there. But make a roof for the ark is not... Uh, not probably the most accurate translation that should be made here. Instead, it's often rendered, make a window for the ark. Okay, make a window for the ark. So you're, he's putting this window up above. And the sages don't agree exactly that it should be window. Some say it should be, hey, I know, can you believe the sages don't agree? <clears throat> There's often disagreement, right? But there's actually, uh, you know, sometimes good reason, sometimes not. Actually, probably always good reason, truthfully. But uh, it makes for interesting dis discussion and critical thinking for sure. But in this case, the word that's used here for make a window in the ark, or in this case, for make a roof, and the reason there's so much confusion is the word here is tsohar. Tsohar. And it is not used anywhere else, anywhere else in the Tanakh. So normally when you read 
and you find that you find a word, you can read some other passages and gain understanding from the other passage as to what this word means. But in this case, there's nothing to compare it to. And so what does this word really mean? And so the sages looked at it and said, well, it's like the word tzahoraim, which means midday. And midday is when the sun is at its peak. And so if he's putting this thing that kind of could be likened in the midday at the top, then perhaps it's a window for the sun to bring light and bring that into the ark. Okay, so that seems to be a pretty good theory. And then the, another thing is like, well, the word is also very much like Zohar, which means radiance. Okay, so if it's radiance, then perhaps the, this is really a precious stone that Noah was told to hang up in the ark that created light of its own, that radiated light within the vessel so that people could see. And the argument there too that was pretty good is that you know, during the days when the heavens were, or when the, uh, the waters of the heaven were coming down, the sun was not visible. The window above would not be giving any light inside. But if a precious stone was placed inside the ark that radiated its own light to all who were within it, then now we have some pictures of the light being present there in the midst of the flood to those who are being saved through the flood. Okay, so now take that and let's think about in the time of Egypt during the, during the plagues. Well, the ninth plague was the plague of darkness, right? But the scripture says that for all the Jews, there was light in their homes, even though it was dark everywhere else in the land, right? And we've talked about this at Passover. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about it again. So what was it that made there be light in the homes of the children of Israel during the, during the darkness. Well, what I like to think of it is that right before the plague of darkness began, God had commanded them to take a lamb into their homes for inspection so they could inspect it for you know, the, the number of days until it was time to offer the lamb so they could put the blood on their lentils. And so where the light was, was where the lamb was, right? And so God gave light to those who were being saved through the darkness. And so here in the time of God bringing judgment on the earth to destroy the earth and to wipe out the flesh that was alive upon it, he said, I'm going to preserve Noah and his family and I'm going to give them light in the midst of the darkness so that they can live, right? So that's a wonderful picture. And it's also <clears throat> even beyond this picture of what's going on there in the ark, it gives us a really good illustration of, of what we need in our lives too, because we are walking in a world that is overcome with darkness in many dimensions. And we are called to be light in the midst of the darkness. So for us to be light, we have to let the light inside of us so that we can be transformed. And then we can radiate the light to others who sit in darkness. In Matthew 5, Verse 14, Yeshua says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a, set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Right? So within this, he's saying, 
you're called with a purpose to be a light to the world, to be a light to those who dwell in darkness. And being a light to those who dwell in darkness requires letting your light shine in such a way that others can see it, right? Um, sometimes, you know, especially as we're approaching the high holy days, you know, when we're going through that period of time, we're talking about how, okay, we're, we're wor working through repentance and we're working out issues with others. We're working out uh, repenting for other things we've done before the Lord. And so we're talking about all these aspects of getting the sin out, right, and removing the sin. But getting the sin out is one thing and it's a needed thing, but there's a whole other aspect, a whole other dimension of righteous, righteousness whereby we walk in the righteousness and let that light shine through our actions and our deeds. So we empty ourselves of sin and fill ourselves up with that which is good and then have that light shine forth in us. But we, we so desperately need that light within us, bringing the transformation. And the light within us is God's Word and His Spirit, right? Now, talking about righteousness and about performing good deeds, when we opened up reading this week's portion, it talked, the scripture brought up Noah, and it says, the offspring of Noah, Noah was a righteous man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God, all right? Now, this, the word for walked with God in this case is written in such a way that it indicates that he walked back and forth repeatedly with God. Right? So it was a very active walk with the Lord, one where um, he, didn't, he didn't walk with the Lord once. He walked with the Lord continuously. It was a lifelong journey and practice for him to walk with the Lord and to know the Lord, to be with him. And, <clears throat> you know, we mentioned that the sages didn't agree on uh, what the what it was that Noah put at the top of the ark. Actually, the sages also don't agree on uh, necessarily just how righteous was Noah, right? In fact, there's a lot of commentary about how he was righteous in his generations, but his generation was depraved, right? It's like, you didn't have to be very righteous to be righteous in your generation at that point in time, right? And they say, well, if, if he had been alive at the time of Abraham, he would have been considered insignificant, you know? But regardless of what the right viewpoint is on him, I know that 2 Peter 2, 5 refers to him as being a herald or a preacher of righteousness. Hebrews eleven seven says he was the heir of righteousness by faith. And in Ezekiel 14, um, there's, there's a passage that speaks about a coming judgment and how people could be preserved through the judgment. And it gives examples of, I haven't read this recently. Well, he, he, so the Lord goes through and mentions if you were to cause different kinds of calamity to come upon the land, what would happen? And he says, okay, here's an example. In verse 13 of Ezekiel 14, Son of man, if a country sins against me by committing unfaithfulness and I stretch out my hand against it, destroy its supply of bread and send famine against it and cut, cut off from it both man and beast, 
even though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in its midst, by their own righteousness, they could only deliver themselves, declares the Lord. So when he's talking about, hey, who are the righteous people who could merit favor for others? He put Noah, Daniel, and Job in there together and said, okay, they wouldn't have sufficient merit to bring anyone else through the affliction that I would send, but themselves, they could come through it, right? And so, so clearly Noah was a righteous man, <clears throat> worthy, noteworthily righteous. And through his righteousness, actually, we see that he brought through redemption for his family members. Now, the redemption that he brought through was a preservation of this life. It was a, t is a temporal protection of their life, but yet it came through favor that he had merited before God. And so it's, and I note that it's a temporal one because I want to distinguish that the grace of Yeshua that brings life and brings preservation to those who trust in God through him, his is everlasting, not just for this life, but also for the second death to overcome even into the world to come. And so, <clears throat> so it's important to, to note that. So I think last week we talked a little bit about grace and how it's the merited favor of one extended to others who don't have merit of their own that brings forth the preservation. And so in this case, Noah had a grace, a favor that was able to be extended to his family for preservation through this flood. Um, and then Yeshua, of course, enough merit and favor for all generations through all time for those who would trust in God, right? All right. Um, And actually, yeah, so speaking of that, uh, I think it's noteworthy to bring up Philippians 3. In Philippians 3, 9, Paul's speaking about being found in Yeshua and not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the Torah, but that which comes through faith in Messiah, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So he's saying, you know, when we are found in Messiah, we are found in Messiah through faith, through the faithfulness of Messiah and the righteousness that comes from God, not from a righteousness that we've derived by our own merit, right? And then he goes on to say, speaking of how he then walks, he says, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Messiah Yeshua has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what light what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the, toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God and Messiah, and Messiah Yeshua. So he talks about how the righteousness that he receives from Messiah, the standing he receives with God, compels him to press forward into all that God has called him to do and to walk so that he might then walk in the righteousness that he's been given. <clears throat> so that he can let his light shine. <clears throat> now, hmm. 
one of the things that Ben you know, mentioned earlier about what he saw during prayer, about the hand with the diamonds that were falling through it, but then the greater hands below that were catching everything and God was saying, you are precious in my sight, you know, um, <clears throat> and how it was a comfort. That's really a key aspect of what we see within the name of Noah. Okay. Before, before, actually when he was born, he was the 10th generation from Adam and his father said, this one will bring us rest. And then when God says that he's going to blot out man, the scriptures say that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And then as we went through and read this week's portion, when we started to read about God saying, the end of all flesh has come before me and Noah make this ark and so forth, the word for God that's used in this is Elohim all the way until the point of Genesis 7-1 when God tells Noah to come to the ark. At that point, it says, Then Hashem said to Noah, Come to the ark, you and all your household. And what's, what's interesting about that is that the sages recognize that the word Elohim, the name Elohim for God represents the aspect of judgment and justice. But then the name of Hashem, the ineffable name of God, that connotes comfort and compassion and mercy. And so God's speaking to Noah about the judgment and the justice that he's going to bring. But then when he says to Noah, come to the ark, you and your household, He's moving in that compassion and that mercy. He's extending a mercy to Noah that even Noah's righteousness couldn't merit all on its own. Right? So I noted his, his righteousness did get extended to others, but it's still in God's great mercy and compassion that he <coughs> moved in that because Noah was not per perfectly righteous. Right? He was a man who sinned. Right? Just as anyone else. But yet God in his mercy said, I'm going to extend a grace to you and I'm going to bring you through this. And, you, and, actually, and so in that, Noah became <clears throat> the one really through who life was uh, preserved for many generations to come, right? And so within this, we speak of Noah being a comforter Right, Nachem, so Noach, uh, you know, he's given that name Noach for rest, but it's connected to the word Nachem, okay, which is the compassion, which is compassion and comforter. And even the name Menachem actually comes from that root word as well, because Menachem means from or out of a place of comfort. But Yeshua is, the scripture says that Yeshua is our comforter. Right. He's the one who brings comfort to us. Just as Noah was able to bring comfort, Yeshua all the more. There's a, there's a Midrash that speaks in Genesis Rabbah about two ships. It says, two ships encountered a storm on the sea and two pilots steered the two ships. One managed to save himself, but not his ship. But the other saved both himself and his ship. Which one received admiration? 
surely the one who saved himself and his ship. And so they say similarly, Noah saved only himself, which and his family, only himself like being his family within all of that generation. But Noah, er, but Moses saved himself and his generation. So they're saying, you know, when you compare those two ships, when you compare the righteousness and the work of the two, Moses far exceeded. And they go on to say in Midrash Tanhuma, they say, if the Holy One, blessed be he, be he, did miracles for Noah, who was righteous but not completely righteous, how much more so if he'd been a perfectly righteous man, right? And so then if you take these two stories and you were kind of to combine them into another form of it, we could easily say, you know, Yeshua, who is the one who is perfectly righteous, how much more can God do through him, through the life that he lived, to bring restoration not just for his generation, or not just for himself or for his generation, but for all generations. It's a wonderful picture. And we talked about the light within the ark being a picture of Yeshua, you know, and being the light, the one that gives gives light to those who sit in darkness. But Yeshua is also somewhat uh, able to be seen within the ark itself as well, right? Now the ark, God was of heavenly design and God gave that heavenly design to Noah to create and to make it a reality on the earth. And then through this heavenly this heavenly entity that now had a manifestation on the earth, mankind was able to be preserved through it for the new creation. So all who would enter in would then see the light be preserved through the storm and brought through into the new creation. You know, when we, when we kind of sum up the story in these terms, it's not a big leap at all to think about the preservation of, of life that we have through Yeshua, who is the vessel, right, who came to earth, who emptied himself of glory and took on flesh, came to earth, and through him, all mankind can be preserved through the coming judgment into the world to come. But there's additional pictures, deep pictures of this as we begin to look at the text. So if we were to look at Genesis 7, 18, for example, the scripture says, the waters strengthened and increased greatly on the earth and the ark floated on, this, on the face of the waters. Well now, the ark floated on the face of the waters is is written because the actual Hebrew would sound a little bit odd because it says the waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth and the ark walked on the face of the waters. Huh, the ark walked on the face of the water. Can y'all think of anyone else who walked on the water? Yeah, okay, right. So we have Yeshua who walked on the water. Um, you know, and, and speaking of that and saying like the, the ark walked on the water, we were... Uh, last night at a Shabbat dinner, we were talking about the dinosaurs a little bit. And it was so interesting how that question came up last night because earlier in the week, I'd heard a teaching from uh, Rabbi Foreman speaking about this very question about, you know, how come the Bible doesn't mention the dinosaurs? You know, I mean, because they clearly are a historical fact. I mean, you can go to the Museum of History 
And, and you can see, or I don't know if it's history, science. Let's go to the science museum. Let's go to the science museum. And you can see dinosaurs, right? They're, they're bones. But the Bible doesn't mention the dinosaurs. And so does that prove the Bible is inaccurate? And he's like, well, not at all. And the reason why is that the Bible is not really a history book. It contains history, but it's not, it's not written in such a way that it should be no, thought of as a history book. History books are written usually in chronological order, and they contain all kinds of details that help you understand different aspects of the story. And it's for the purpose of giving a very literal, here's what happened. But the Bible, not so much so because it's not a history book. He says, well, is it a poetry book? Is it, you know, and he goes through all different kinds of books that it may be. And he says, no, it's not any of those. It has those components within it. But knowing what kind of book you're reading is important because it's going to affect the kind of questions that you ask about the text. Like if you said, hey, this is a history book, and you say, hey, the, the ark walked on the face of the water, and you're like, well, the ark must have had legs. I guess arks back then had legs. But it's like, no, 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 the ark did not have legs, but yet it walked. Well, why did the scripture say that it walked? As opposed to floated. I mean, floated makes a lot more sense for a boat on water, but it walked. And the reason why, uh, I think, is that it ultimately the scripture was setting up a connection that would later be revealed through the Messiah walking on the water, making a connection back to even this, the ark that would be the preserver of people through, through the coming destruction and through the renewal into a new world. And there may be other reasons too, but I'm just giving that example. But what he says is that the Bible is really written more as a guidebook. So if we were to take the approach of this is a guidebook for how to live, how to live unto God, how to live unto one another, and a guidebook for how we are to be transformed into the image of Messiah to become more like God who created us such that we reflect more of his image in this world, then we can start to say, okay, you know what, when I come across difficulties or seeming contradictions, then maybe I don't have to be as worked up about it or worried that it's disqualifying the Bible, but rather saying, you know what, okay, there's something that I need to understand. There's some reconciliation within here. And really, what is it that God is wanting to reveal to bring transformation to me and to others in the community around me? What's the, how is God guiding me and leading me? And so even last week we talked about how the Torah leads us to Yeshua such that we can find him and such that we become more and more like him. Well, even so, that's what the, that is the genre of the Bible to guide us, transform us. So loved the idea that, you know, it doesn't matter that the dinosaurs aren't listed, you know. Uh, or that there's sometimes discrepancies or sometimes things that are out of order because these things can be put out of order for the very effect of helping us make connections we otherwise wouldn't make. Or in this case, a word that says that he walked on the water makes us say, how come it walked on the water? What does that mean? What connection is that? And how does that help me understand what God is, is saying overall? Well, so we have the, the ark as a type 
of Messiah walking on the surface of the waters just as Yeshua did. And it even reflects back a little bit to how the divine presence hovered over the waters at creation and how it again was over the waters here at this recreation. <clears throat> now, there's a couple of other things I think that were worth mentioning in this. So the word for ark, oh, I'm sorry. What's that? Okay, yeah. Is that what you're going to ask? Sweet. I love it when people are ahead of me. Yes, that's good. No, so the word, word for ark is teva, right? And it's actually the same uh, thing that Moses was placed into. It's just Moses' ark was a little bit smaller than, than Noah's ark. Uh, but, but teva, the rabbis say another, another meaning for, for this, for teva, is word. Yeah, that it's the word. And so if you think about this, God took... Noah and said, come into the word. I'm going to hide you in the word here in creation and preserve you through the word that was with God and was God. Right. Amen. So it's a really cool picture there. Now, the other thing about this is that if we, if we were to keep reading, let me actually read here. Um, okay. So in verse 17, so they've come into the word, which is the ark. And even when, Moses, or when uh, God was telling Noah how to create it, he said to cover it in pitch outside and inside, right? Well, that's understood to be this tar that would become a sealant that would, that would essentially enable the, the ark to float and not become inundated with water. But this word for the pitch is kofir. Now, in Hebrew... The Hebrew words are not written with vowels, right? So you have kofar, but it also could be kippur, right? See, so he, he said to cover it with atonement, both inside and out, right? And so we have our atonement and, and hidden with Messiah in God, right? Now, so he makes the ark, which is uh, a picture of the word, it's also covered in atonement. They come into it. There is the light, the radiant light, which can be the Torah, the Spirit, even the light of creation, the light of Yeshua, there to illuminate them while they were being preserved through the darkness. And then in verse 17, when the flood was on the earth 40 days, the waters increased and raised the ark so that it was lifted above the earth. Okay. So the word used for lifted above the earth also means removed in the same sense as the ash, with respect to removing ashes from the altar. Okay? And when it says the waters increased and raised, it says nasa, which is to raise or to offer up. The ark, <clears throat> when it was lifted, okay, so, so it was nasa, it was raised or offered up so that it was lifted above the earth. That word for lifted is tarim. Okay, and that's the one that is about removing uh, ashes from the altar. Okay, so it was raised up, which is actually nasa, uh, the root word, well, nasi, prince. Okay, comes from the same word, the one that is lifted up. Okay, so it's lifted up. 
as in ashes from the altar. And then the ark drifted on the surface of the waters, walked on the surface of the waters. And the spirit was over the water. And so when you consider the idea that the vessel that was going to preserve mankind through the storm was lifted up as an offering. Just as the ashes are moved, lifted up from the altar. Then we begin to see other pictures of how God's plan of restoration and bringing mankind through into a new creation would include a vessel that is given up as an offering and serves as an atonement and a light for all those who would be who would hear the call to repent and to come inside, right? It's it's such a neat picture to see that God moves in restoration in increments throughout time in a progressive nature to take us from a point of destruction and lack of hope to then bring us to the pinnacle where he can bring us into a new life and a new creation. And this new life and new creation isn't just for the world to come, right? Because the new life and new creation that God is working out in us and through us is for right now, right? Because those who have identified with Messiah, who have identified with him in his death and resurrection are now made a new creation. The former things have passed away, new things have come. And so now being made a new creation, we aren't in a renewed world yet, but there is a renew, renewed world that is coming. <clears throat> now, when God created the world, he placed man in it, right? He created man and he said, I want relationship with you. And I also want you to go and take my light to the ends of the world and subdue it. And then when man sinned and began to become corrupted more and more, as the generations went on and the earth became corrupted, the Lord said, you know what? I have, to, I have to undo what's been done. So I'm going to destroy the earth. He's not going to destroy all the people, right? Many will die, but that there will be some that are preserved through it. And then he'll create the new world for them to go back and renew the call to go and fill the earth multiplying for the earth, which is what he does when they come out of the ark um, and God makes a covenant with Noah. Noah makes uh, offerings to God and God places his bow in the sky and says, I'm not going to destroy the world with the flood again, but you, you're going to go and you're going to increase and multiply and you're going to subdue the, war, uh, the earth and to fill it. So he renews the call. And then, you know, next week we're going to get into the story of Abraham. We're going to continue on. But what we see is God's continued efforts to bring transformation and to have a people who will go and to walk in his righteousness and to transform the earth. And what we know through Yeshua is that being made a new creation, <clears throat> the earth wasn't recreated at that moment through him. But the people who trust in God through him are made new. And made new in such a way that our transformation enables us to go and be the light to a completely different degree than we could otherwise do because we were given the Spirit and the Torah written on our hearts such that we actually 
become filled with the light, right? And the more that we allow God's light to come in us, the more that is actually written upon our hearts. See this thing, I, I think that the, the Torah is written progressively on our hearts, okay? I think it is a process whereby the Spirit is continually writing the truth on, into our hearts such that we might live it, okay? We're reading, the, we're reading the Torah, we're placing it in our hearts, but then there's a whole other thing to have the Spirit writing it within our hearts. And if you imagine, if you imagine someone trying to write Okay, and you were to come up and you were to hold the end of their pencil, right? They're not going to be able to write very well. They're, they're going to try. It's going to be kind of scratchy, right? But if you will allow someone to just write freely, they're going to be write, able to write faster, more complete, more beautifully. And so then that's the same way with our hearts. Okay, if God is writing the Torah on our hearts, how much are we trying to hold on to the pencil as he's writing? I mean, the, the spirit, right? But how much are we interfering with it and saying, no, 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 not, don't write that, don't write that, as opposed to, Lord, come and write your word on my heart. Make me the vessel that you want me to be so that I can fully let your light come in and I can be transformed, made new, such that having the light in us and being transformed, we become instruments that begin to help in the renewal and restoration of this world even today, right? We know that the new creation is coming, right? But we have the opportunity to take hold of the messianic era even today while the messianic era is not fully uh, realized even today, right? But we can take hold of it and begin to walk in it such that we're agents of restoration along with our Messiah, bringing uh, light, right? So even as God says in Ezekiel when he says, okay, if I bring famine, what's going to happen to the people? If I bring a sword, what's going to happen to the people? And he talks about how the righteous can impact those around them. Well, as destruction and chaos looms around us and there are challenges in the world, how much can the righteousness that we exhibit, that we walk in through the power of the Spirit, actually bring others through the darkness? Right, because Noah, Job, and, and Daniel, they didn't have the Spirit as we have the Spirit. They did have the Spirit speaking to them and guiding them, right? Um, because the Spirit has been active throughout all time to interact with His people and to guide them into truth. But there's a, there's a different order there's a different degree given to us by the Spirit and the work of Yeshua to then go out and be agents of righteousness such that we could be, um, you know, uh, John, uh, it's in the, in the book of John, Yeshua says, even greater works than these will they do because I go to the Father, right? So he's saying we will be able to do great works in his name to a greater degree than had been able to be done prior, right? And so then through that, that's where we're wanting to submit ourselves to it and say, yes, Lord, come and have your way such that we can see the benefit of the new creation in this world, in this time, and that others can come into the ark, come into the word, into Yeshua, and find salvation and life through him. So that we can be heralds of righteousness, even to a greater degree than Noah was, right? Amen.
All right, anybody have any uh, questions or thoughts? Anything you want to say before we... Well, one thing, too, just before we go through this, uh, we are going to be having a time of prayer for the Sharon's. It's a, it was not a regularly scheduled event, but uh, their baby blessing had to be canceled because of all the illness that's been going on uh, in various families. And so uh, the only time we can really find where we know we're going to be able to say this blessing before baby Sharon appears <laughs> is today uh, at the end of the service. So um, is, in just a few moments, we'll wrap up uh, service and then we're going to bring in uh, Amy and uh, Richard and we'll, we'll say some prayers for them after we end the, uh, after we end the live stream. So, Richard. <clears throat> so, I've always seen, I mean, and you brought up the verse earlier where it's talking about light, let your light shine. Mm-hmm. And then it's talking about your good works, mm-hmm. right? Because it is the good works that show that light. Yes. Right? And, and it was when you were talking about the ark and, and, and the roof, I imagined it being very much like the plague of darkness that, that you mm-hmm. mentioned also, wherein the clouds are blocking the sun, but just as supernaturally the light that the Israel had that, that was not snuffed out by the darkness, they, I imagine the heat, they built that window and they're thinking, well, it's going to be useless because it's going to be you know, cloudy and rainy, but it's as if that window bypassed the darkness of the clouds and the midday sun still streamed through, mm-hmm. right? And, and that light representing, you know, the yeah. master. And so um, I, I think this verse um, with Matthew uh, just, just really spoke to me. Yeshua came and talked with them. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make people from all nations into disciples, immersing them into the reality of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, mm. right? There's the uh, good works, Torah, the commands. Um, and, and I actually see the commands as the avenue of grace, right? He told Noah, go into the ark. If Noah did not obey, there, there is the end of grace there. That's right, right. yeah. And so th- to me, it, it is not so much that I'm given grace dis- despite my lack of obedience or I have to obey to gain grace, but rather it is all wrapped in together, right? I tell my kids, don't do this or do that because I love them. And obviously if they don't obey, they're going to get hurt, right? Like don't rock on the chair and they rock it and they fall, and, you know their head and so but that that's the whole idea of the grace and the commandments and 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 the importance of really obeying them you know when he says trust whom i send <laughs> that that's a command right um mm-hmm. and so I, I was telling um my son before he left because that was in the section right here and and when we obey the word of god when we forgive because all of it is, is, is a picture of his character, right? And the whole point is for us to be image bearers. You know, Adam and Eve were created to spread the light from the garden out to the rest of the world. Noah was put there to spread the light to the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. And the master was sent to spread the light to the rest of the world. And we are the avenues for that, right? And the way that we are those avenues is by obeying, mm-hmm. right? Because yeah. then we are shining his light through to the rest of the world. And that's, that's how we make him known. Right. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. Yeah, you have to 
You have to walk in the light for the light to shine, right? You actually have to do the acts of righteousness for that light to be seen. Yeah. So it's, again, it's not just the absence of, well, I didn't sin. It's like, you didn't sin, that's good, but did you walk in righteousness? Did you let your light shine? Amen. Yes. Okay. But I tried to study this myself. Okay. And starting in um, Genesis 6, uh, going down through, uh, uh, I guess through 5, uh, I don't understand who is the sons of God in verse 2 that saw the daughters of men were beautiful and they took wives from themselves. And then it says, in four, there were giants on the earth, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they had children. Are they talking about the same people? Or are they, and I know this is probably a whole Bible study to do on this, but I just thought somebody might have, that have spent hours on this, might have a quick answer for me. Uh, because I couldn't seem, looking at several different references, I couldn't seem to get it settled in my mind. If, <coughs> if the sons of the rulers and the Nephilim were the same? Is that, yes. that was your question? And, and when the sons of God, uh, yeah. I've been told that the sons of God were angels right. by, one, by one person. Mm -hmm. But I just thought maybe somebody might have some insight on that. Yeah, that's, that's, the, that's a, a, a common teaching on it is that the sons of God were fallen angels and then the Nephilim were the offspring oh, okay. of, so of, that, of that unholy union. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. Thank you. I but yeah, that is a whole different rabbit trail that we can do like a lot of stuff on. But yeah, so it's great we can just answer it concisely like that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then... <coughs> so, I had never really um, thought about the ark being a picture of Yeshua until, until today, the way you brought it out so well. But it also made me think in Galatians chapter 3.27, it says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Yes. So I was thinking, oh, wow, that's a picture also of baptism. Uh -huh. Because yes. the righteous go into Yeshua and we become baptized, baptized in Christ. Yes. Because I had wondered before, why is it phrased that way, baptized in Christ? And maybe that's a translation. No, but, but yeah, that's right. Baptized into Christ. So, right. And then I thought, and then after that, what happened um, when Noah wanted to know if there's dry land, he sends out the dove, mm -hmm. representative of the Holy Spirit. Yeshua sent the comforter. Mm -hmm. You know, I just, I don't know, the, the dove tying in with the Holy Spirit is also kind of in my mind, too, yeah. you know. The promise of the new beginning. And, and Amen. Those were just things I thought of. Amen. Amen. Okay, I'm going to, um, with that, we're going to stop because we need to leave enough time for the uh, Sharon blessing. And so um, let's say a prayer, and then I'm going to give a few um, announcements, and we'll go from there. So, Lord, we love you. We bless you. We thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the light that you've given us, Lord. Thank you for the life you've given us and how you're the one who holds us in the palm of your hands and that you bring us through the storm through your son, Yeshua. Lord, I pray that you would 
go before us, guide us, direct us, Lord. Help us to see how we can walk repeatedly, continuously with you, Lord, that, that the light that you've placed within us, the Torah that you've written in our hearts, Lord, that we might walk fully in it so that others may see our good works and glorify you. Lord, we give you thanks and praise in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas. Thank you.